0: Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's confess our sins to God our Father. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Hear the gospel of Christ from Matthew chapter 1. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Amen. You may be seated. from Isaiah chapter 9. This is written 700 years before Jesus was born. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Gospel according to Luke, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David And on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. So tonight, if we can, this is, um, um, I've, I've never preached on this particular verse before, but if we can talk about verse 2, um, this was the first registration when Quir- Quirinius was governor of Syria. This is the kind of thing that, uh, I mean, that we, we, Luke 2 has said every year, right? It's probably the most famous, um, whether it's because Linus says it on the, the Peanuts Christmas special or because it, it's its the most famous. Um, detailed telling of the story of Jesus' birth. We, we read this every year. But uh, how often do we think about these first two verses, about Caesar Augustus um, wanting to register the whole world, his whole kingdom, which in Caesar Augustus's mind is the whole world. And this happened when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Why does Luke tell us that? Have you, ever, have you ever wondered why Luke feels the urge to tell us that Quirinius was the governor of Syria? To top it all off, too, is that Okay, unless you're a real nerd, uh, you won't know this, but that's actually quite controversial too because Quirinius, uh, he actually authorized this census in the year 6 A.D., by which point Jesus was at least nine or ten years old. So what's up with that? Uh, is Luke just somehow uh, mistaken? Is, why does he need to tell us anyway about Quirinius? What does that have to do with the story? Actually, it has a lot to do with the story. And I'm going I'm to argue for a second that Luke here is not telling you like the calendar time when Jesus was born, but the cultural moment of Jesus' birth. And one of the best ways he can do that, for you to understand what's at stake with the birth of the Son of God, the, one of the best ways Luke can get that across to you is to say, this happened when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, not to us, because nobody knows who Quirinius was. But Quirinius was quite infamous in, uh, in the Jewish world. Can I tell you why? And here, I, I, I'm going to step out on a limb and risk uh, boring you to death by telling you this. Um, I'm, I'm going to read to you a long passage as well, which also can be boring. Josephus, does anybody know the name Josephus? Josephus was an ancient Jewish historian. He lived maybe 30, 40 years after Jesus he was a Jew, he was a faithful Jew. Actually, faithful Jew's a stretch. He, was, he considered himself to be a faithful Jew his whole life. His Jewish brothers and sisters probably didn't consider himself to be a faithful Jew because Josephus was a general on the Jewish side during the famous Jewish-Roman War of 80, 66 to 70 that ended up with the temple being destroyed by the Romans. He was a Jewish general until he realized that there's no way the Jews can win this war, at which point... He defected under uh, the darkness of night and went over to the Roman side and said, "I believe God's on your side now. What can I do to help you?" as a reward for his uh, Benedict Arnold action, He was given uh, it was a wealthy uh, patroness, uh, paid him lots of money in his older age. She lived in Rome and he wrote books about Judaism, um, the Antiquities of the Jews and the Jewish Wars. very famous books. you can find those on the shelves of Local libraries, in fact. Um, J- Josephus is not a Christian. Josephus is aware of Jesus because a lot of people were, especially in, in uh, Judea. He's not interested in Jesus outside of just a, a brief historical mentions a couple times. He is more interested in this guy Quirinius, though. And I'm going to tell you this story. I'm going to read to you from Josephus's Antiquities of the Jews. And it's about a little bit about Quirinius. And what I'm getting at here is I want you to listen to what I'm saying. This is background for why Luke would mention Quirinius in his story, okay? So here's what Josephus says. Now Quirinius, a Roman senator who had arisen through other leadership positions until he had been made consul, and who was of great dignity, came at this time into Syria, being sent by Caesar to be a judge of that province and to take an account of their substance. The, the, the old King James Version said that, that Caesar Augustus was taxing the whole world. The ESV says registering. Registering is technically right, but actually it was for the sake of taxing. This is why Caesar would do this. He wanted to figure out how much can I get out of these people. So, like Josephus says, he sends Quirinius to Syria to say, how much money do these people have? And to dispose of Archelaus's money. That was one of Herod's sons who had died, and Caesar's like, I want some of that pie. And he sends Quirinius over to get some of that. The Jews, although at the beginning, when they found out about Quirinius coming to do this taxing and registration, the Jews, although at the beginning, they took the report of the taxation atrociously, they were persuaded by Joazar, the high priest, not to show any further opposition to it. So they gave an account of their estates without any dispute about it. Does everybody understand where we're at now? Quirinius comes in and says, I'm going to figure out, I need everybody to tell me how much money you have because we're going to tax it. The Jews hated it, for reasons that we'll get to in a second. But Joazar the high priest, who by the way was working for the Romans, convinced them just to stay calm and let the Romans know how much money you have and how much property you have. Yet, there was one man named Judas, a Golanite from the city named Gamala, who taking with him Sajuk, uh, the Pharisee guy, became zealous to incite them into revolt, to incite the Jews into revolting over this tax. They said, these two guys said that this taxation was no better than an introduction to slavery and pleaded with the nation to assert their liberty. They also said that God would not refuse to assist them, especially if they would make the attempt with great exploits and not grow weary in executing them. In other words, so these two guys say, hey, wait a minute. This tax is a sign that the Romans are our slave owners. Let's not pay this tax. Let's revolt against this tax, and if we do, we're telling you that this will be a step out in faith, and when God sees that we're trusting him, he'll come to our aid and help us to defeat the Romans. So, Josephus goes on, men received what they said with pleasure, and this bold attempt proceeded to a great height. All sorts of misfortunes also sprang from these men, and the nation was infected with their doctrine to an incredible degree. One violent war came upon us after another. And we lost many of our friends who used to ease our pains. There were also great robberies and murder of our leading citizens. This was done under pretense, indeed, for the public welfare, but in reality for the hopes of gain for themselves. From them arose seditions. Seditions is a rebellion against the government. And from them murders of men, which sometimes fell on those of their own people by the madness of these men toward one another, that none of the opposition party might be left, and sometimes on their enemies. So they were just killing people right and left, friends and enemies. The rebellion at least, at last, increased so high that the very temple of God was burnt down by their enemies' fire. It's, it's, that, that, that burning of the temple in AD 70 is the most momentous, important event in, the, in Jewish history. It radically changes who they are. To this very day, that temple has never been rebuilt. Did everybody catch what Josephus is saying? What was the cause of the temple being destroyed by the Romans? Well, there's several steps in there, but he traces it back to this tax by Quirinius. See, Luke knows what he's doing. When he tells you that Quirinius was the governor of Caesar, it's not just like a time check. It's, this is the cultural moment. When Quirinius was enslaving us underneath the authority of Caesar, a baby was born in Judea who was about to be the king of the universe. And this fits right in with with the way that Luke is telling this story, the the, the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, there's three types of power. One is secular power, the power of Caesar, the power of the government, the, the power of the economic political system. And that power exercises itself in a couple of different ways. Exploitation, this is all about taxing here, right? You make money, we take your money, Caesar lives in luxury. <laughs> you know, it, it, a couple of benefits there. One, we put you in a position where you're needy. And two, we make lots of money for ourselves. Exploitation and fear. This is what the crucifixion is all about. Not, not just the crucifixion of Jesus, but crucifixion as a thing. It's pure propaganda. Do not mess with us or we will strip your clothes off of you and nail you up to a post naked to die over the course of two or three days in front of everybody that you know. That's like the best propaganda there is. Like what what better incentive is there to obey the government than that? That's the first type of authority in in Luke, both, both in Luke and in Acts, is the authority of Caesar, the authority of the state. The second type of authority is religious authority. It's the moral majority. It's the cultural right. Those people are radically opposed to Jesus, just like Caesar's radically opposed to Jesus. And they do their business the same way. Exploitation. You have to obey our rules. And if you don't, God does not care for you. You're damned. You're on the outside looking in, that sort of thing. And fear. We can shun you. We can convince Caesar to crucify you if you mess with us enough. Which brings us to the third power. So, the, the first power, the foundation, the first power is the cultural left, right? Power makes us God. The second power is the cultural right. God gives us power. We have God on our side, so we have power. But the third power in the gospel is the power of Jesus, the power of this little tiny baby in the manger, the power of this man who has no ability, has no army to, to defeat the cultural left, nor does he wish any. When one is offered to him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he turns it down. He has no authority or no desire to beat the cultural right, except just to call them to repentance. He doesn't gather a large religious movement together and say, let's go take over the temple and purify it. He does purify the temple, but as a one-off act, which actually instigates his own, his own arrest and crucifixion. Instead, the power that he exercises, the foundation of that is, I am God, and that's the definition of power. My power is, I will die. I will let you guys kill me. Cultural left and cultural right team up to stamp out the creator of the universe. That's what happens in Luke chapter 24, isn't it? It's the relig- Luke chapter 23. It's the religious leaders. It's the Sanhedrin. It's the moral majority that, that arrest Jesus because they don't like the fact that he won't submit to their power. And drags him in front of Caesar, Caesar's representative, Pilate, And insist that you, cultural left, team up with us, cultural right, to stamp out this guy who refuses to kowtow to either one of us. What is it? Do you remember what, in Luke chapter 23, do you remember what it is that the Sanhedrin says to Pilate when Pilate says, why should I kill this guy? They say, check it out for yourself, I believe it's verse 2 of Luke 23. They say, he refuses to pay taxes to Caesar. Luke knows exactly what he's doing. He's going all the way back to Luke chapter 2 and said, on the year that the great tax was instituted, a baby was born that was going to be falsely accused of not paying that tax, and because that was the case, he would get killed by everybody, both sides of the cultural divide. The same is true today. The cultural left and the cultural right, neither one of them loved Jesus. Now, at this point, he's become so strong. This is 2,000 years of his kingdom growing, it's, you can't crucify him anymore and still get elected in this country. You can't crucify him anymore and still have power in this country. And so they co opt him. The cultural left co opts this Jesus and says, Here's our great example of love and acceptance. The cultural right co opts him and say, says, Here's the great paragon of morality and uh, ethics and hard work and perseverance and uh, self made man individualism. With, you know, what, what both sides of the culture try to do to him is, you know, you can't get rid of him, but you give him a nice corner office and put an advisor label up on his door and kind of stick him in there and pay him a small salary and bring him out whenever you need to for parades and, and elections. You have to bring him out for elections, too, if you want to get elected, those sorts of things. You know, if you want to make money with your business, you pull him out and say, hey, can I have one of them fish stickers I want to stick on my car and that sort of thing. He refuses to allow that to happen, though. He's no power in the world. Just a little baby. He's going to grow up and be a construction worker. He doesn't have any sort of cultural relevance. He doesn't have any sort of cachet. He's, He's going to get executed, and there's not going to be a single person there to defend him when he does. But by doing that, but by abandoning all that real power that he has, and by dying for me and you, he gets all that power back. And now he holds in his hand the power of death and life, the power that the cultural left and the cultural right wish they had, Wish that they could hold over our heads. But it's Jesus Himself who holds that. And every year, when you from now on, when you read Luke 1, Luke 2, verse 2, and you read about Quirinius, just want you to be reminded that all the power that goes on in your world and all the voices that are calling for you to help give them your power so that they can have greater power. Whatever that is, might be the political system, might be the economic system, it might be the 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 cultural entertainment system, whatever it is, just remember. Quirinius was governor of Syria, and whenever the world wants power, there's a baby that has all that power they wish they had, and by your faith in him, gives you that power. Let's pray. Stand with me. Let's pray. Let's pray, Father, by the incarnation and birth of your Son Jesus. You've showed us that you are true power, more than that, that you are true love. We pray tonight that you would give us true faith in Christ and his promise to be our Savior, and that by his conception, his virgin birth, his holy life, his death, his victorious resurrection, our sins are forgiven and we are yours, and that his kingdom has now come, and you, a Father, through him are ruling over your whole universe. Help us to love each other more and more all the time. Because as you live inside of us, we live inside of you and your love grows and is completed in us. So this Christmas fill us with joy and strengthen us to proclaim and live out your gospel to and for all people. We pray this trusting in your grace and mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father who art in heaven